When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film that has shaped our take on a new release. I'm Scott Tobias, here once again with Keith Phipps and Tasha Robinson. This week, it's All the President's Men, Alan J. Pakula's Best Picture-nominated film from 1976 about the Washington Post's investigation into the Watergate scandal. The film stars Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman as Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, the Washington Post reporters who helped bring the sins of the Nixon administration to light through good old-fashioned shoe-leather journalism. On the last episode, Tasha, Keith, and I talked about the film as a procedural and a political movie and debated the ending. Now let's bring Spotlight into the conversation and talk about the things that connect all the President's men to Tom McCarthy's well-received new film about the Boston Globe's investigative work into the Catholic Church's sexual abuse scandal and the institution's efforts to cover it up. We need to focus on the institution, not the individual priests. Practice and policy. Show me the church manipulated the system so that these guys wouldn't have to face charges. Show me they put those same priests back into parishes time and time again. Show me this was systemic, that it came from the top down. It's time for the forum. Each of us has come with a topic, and we'll break things down from there. Tasha, let's start with you. Well, my just general overview topic was journalism, because I think one of the things that's most interesting in this in this pair of films is how in both of them journalism is practiced. It's very much a, a hands-on craft that's done via a hell of a lot of taking notes. And one of the things I enjoyed most about Spotlight, I have to admit, was just watching people frantically scribbling notes, which is something you also get a lot of in All the President's Men is just this, you know, they're looking at these yellow legal pads on which they're doodling names. And sometimes they're just doing doodling faces because they spend so much time on the phone. You know, in uh, Spotlight, they have computers. Everybody's got a desktop computer. And uh, Mark Ruffalo's character even has a laptop. But it's still very much a, a paper and pencil project. And so much of both of these movies is spent leafing through cards out of a card catalog or going through endless lists of people in these, like, old, old manuals in the morgue. It's not even like shoe leather journalism. It's like paper cut journalism. <laughs> so part of it is just it, how you see journalism in these films through the sets, which are filled with clutter, you know, filled with books, filled with files, filled with used, filled up notepads, filled with typewriters and huge stacks of copy that, you know, are getting run off to one place or the other. And part of it is journalism as how it's practiced just as people like these are a bunch of people with no lives outside of the industry <laughs> you you really get a feeling for uh, I think Slattery's character in Spotlight is the only one who seems to have a family Ruffalo's character seems to have lost his family uh, Woodward and Bernstein there's not really any sense that they have a life outside of journalism all of the people in 
in both of these films you see coming home like late at night it's dark and they're pretty much throwing down their coats and, and picking up the phone or throwing down their coats and collapsing just long enough to grab a little couple hours of sleep and get back out on the road so much of the journalism in both of these films is practiced standing on people's porches trying to get that foot in the door trying to get somebody to break down and hint at maybe nodding to answer a question mm-hmm. There's just there's so much in both of these films, I think, about how journalism works that makes it seem like an incredibly tedious job where the reward is just getting to tell the world something that you really think it needs to know. Yeah, I mean, well, and what's interesting, too, is how similar the practices are, given how much how much time separates the two. I mean, I think we can talk a little bit about, you know, the contrast between these two two worlds. But but I think the fundamentals of how a story is is broken and, and, and followed are absolutely the same in both films. And part of what makes Spotlight interesting is there are the suggestions that this is sort of the last gasp of this kind of journalism too. just print journalism in general. There's sort of like the loving shots of, of, of papers rolling off the printing <laughs> yeah. press. Uh, there's a, um, a AOL billboard directly next to the Boston Globe uh, office at one point. And then there's also the, like we should print the whole thing on the website. We can all, it's really simple. Just put the URL at the end of the article. And it's like, yeah. it's very much like they, they don't know what's about to hit them. And, 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 um, I mean, the subtext also is, is, it's never really explicit, but you know, at the beginning there's talk about possibly making cuts and, and there's just, you know, the cuts that are going to come to newspapers are going to be spectacularly, um, on a scale that they, they have not even imagined mm-hmm. before. And like, there's a part of the takeaway of this movie is that you know do cracking a story like this takes time and money and space and not just a rush to put up another article right right away it's sort of the internet pace we've all gotten used yeah. to both as as the reader. aggregation in this well yeah yeah well, where's the seo it's a pace we've gotten used to as 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 readers and as you know producers of this content too well otherwise you're just you're just feeling the money just going out the door because right. you're not you're not collecting every day you're like and you know there's no timeline really i mean even even more so than than all the president's men where 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 they they are you do feel like they're getting pressured to 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 deliver something on deadline uh you know this this spotlight team is really removed i mean literally removed from the rest of the paper they have their own little office there's not really any timeline it's just about like let's follow the story until it's done and then and then we'll run it and in your head surely you're thinking like the resources involved in in doing this are just tremendous Um, yeah i just like there's no at no point do we see rachel mcadams like sit down and knock out a story about how some other publication has uh posted a casting rumor for a movie (laughs) i mean it's just it's kind of incredible they they say up front at the beginning of the movie that the spotlight crew has spent the last couple of months trying to figure out what their next story is Mm. i mean you certainly get the impression that they're driven and and ruffalo's character in particular um has an agenda like has a story that he wants to be covering so it's not like they're sitting around with their feet up going, eh, let's take a month off and then we'll come back to this. They're working every day. But at the same time, they have the liberty to spend a couple of months deciding what story they want to pursue before like even locking down all of the resources of all of these people all of the time on that story. You can feel now the absence of that kind of journalism of, 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 of being, you know, could the globe today uh, be able to do do the story because it is an incredibly important story. I mean, this is a story that, you know, a pattern of, of, of abuse and cover up that 
absolutely needed to be um, revealed. And it's the job of the fourth estate to reveal that and to hold hold people in power accountable. And if you don't have the resources to, to, to do it and do it on a deep level, then those abuses are allowed to happen without anyone you know, blowing the whistle. And also at one point, uh, you know, a story, they referred to a story running the Boston Phoenix as like, it doesn't matter if it runs there because it's it, there's no money behind it. No one reads it. And, and you know, it, to actually have power, for journalists to have power, it actually needs, needs readership too. Yeah, I think it is worth noting that the spotlight team does still exist. You know, that is still a subsection of the Boston Globe today. They bill themselves as the longest continually running investigative journalist team in the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether they're still doing things on this scale, I, ha- I haven't dug into. I mean, whether behind the scenes they're still spending a year researching a given story, like as to that, I couldn't say. But like spotlight as an entity does still exist today. But you can certainly sense, even in this film, the, the, you know, the, the paper weakening. I mean, I, I, I recall, I mean, the, the sh- shots that really got to me were just shots of the parking lot. You, could, you, could find, a, you can find a parking space very easily <laughs> at the Boston Globe in this film. You feel like, like I feel the missing cars. Um, and, uh, and the newsroom is, uh, you know, seems small and underpopulated. It's not this really? vast forest that is, uh, that is all the president's men. Yeah, I, I find that funny given how often we see that parking lot in all the president's men and how you can very clearly see that the cars are double stacked in a way that would make some cars unable to get out like that on a on a really low level that kind of bugged me it's just like not in a way that should be fixed but just in a way like you're conscious in that shot that that people are just like parking in front of other cars like what why did he do that why did he do that why, why is he getting to me this way wow that is again very specific <laughs> i mean you're looking at some of these shots for a long time scott i mean That's i was true. i was just studying them but um one of the other things that interests me about the contrast between these two movies in terms of journalism is the relationship of the journalist teams within them um bernstein and woodward or later woodstein uh which i just love <laughs> the fact that they they just get conflated and everybody just refers to them as that. Um, the two of them have that tension early on where uh, one of them is editing the other without asking and is very clearly trying to get himself onto this big story. But apart from that, the two of them just start functioning as a unit. And apart from you know one of them being <laughs> incredibly rumpled and having that Columbo, uh, like after eating a meal off his chest kind of look, <laughs> and the other one being more dapper, like they function as two parts of a team and there's no tension between them. There's no, like, there's not even any, like, Bonnie and Clyde contrast between, like, who they are. They're just a unit. And you get that with the Spotlight team pretty much, too. There's very little distinguishing between them. They're, like, little things like, oh, this this one has a family and that one's more tense and, uh, like, a little more driven than everybody else and this one's in charge. But for the most part, you're seeing them as a functional unit, not as individual people. Yeah, you know, and it contrasts too with their suspicions about uh, Marty Baron too, who's this new guy who's coming in, and they don't know if he's going to have their back. And this is definitely the type of story where where they're going to need all the support they can get because they're going up against the most you know powerful institution in in the city. He's a really interesting character. I mean, given how little of him we see in Spotlight, he and Jason Robards in All the President's Men like could be cut from the same piece of cloth. And they both get uh, an almost identical scene where they sit down with the copy that the, their team is producing and leaf through it and just mark it up and it's like, go go away and come back with something more substantial than this. Yeah, I haven't got it. 
Librarian and secretary say Hunt looked at a book. That's not good enough. White House aide told me that Hunt was investigating Kennedy. Who was it? Who was it? You want the name, you mean? No, no. How senior? How high up? I don't know titles. I like also, one thing I liked about the film is how it kind of sets up these possible uh, villains in the form of, of Marty Baron or, or Ben Bradley Jr. Uh, to make another connection between this and all the president's men uh, that, that end up not being, that ends up not being the case, you know, that, that, that no, I mean, it just spoils it a little bit, but the, the villain being their own sort of lack of ability to catch the story the first time around. Um, it's, 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 there's an obvious, of course, obviously they, they're not going to bend the truth for this film, but there, there's an obvious way to tell a story with, with uh, uh, the villain coming from within, but it's with, you know, opposing them, but it's not, it's not what they do. You know, Robards is set up in particular as this kind of hard nosed, uh, hardcore guy who may give them a lot of crap, but at one point they're meeting in his office and speaking of small details in the frame, <laughs> Scott, there is a, like it's the size and shape of a bumper sticker. I don't know if it's meant to be that or a plaque or what, but there's a sign on his wall that just says ambiguity is bullshit. <laughs> is, I just said. It's just the bluntest. Well, it, it took me, I had to go back and, and loop it a couple of times because the, the camera never focuses on it and mm. you, you've got to be looking off in the corner of the screen. But l- that just really speaks to both of those characters is that sense of, you know, a relatively amiable in some ways, but like hard nosed man with high standards and that being where the buck stops is what you need for good journalism well and you cannot have any part of the story be be false it just you can't have a hole in it and, and uh, so i think you have to have that high standard in order uh, it, it really really absolutely both cases you can't you, you know and surely surely i think based on the evidence i believe tom mccarthy and, and company probably did uh watch all the president's men oh, uh, more, than, more than once <laughs> uh, because uh, because they're really i mean I, you know on this show we'll be dealing with films that have certain thematic connections sometimes um and it's echoes but i mean this is this is it's scene for scene cannibalization. <laughs> cannibalization no we're not saying this is a negative thing no 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 no, 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 no. no. I'll say I think Spotlight is one of the best movies of the year and, oh and, I agree and just, just beautifully done and, and it's probably a model that more films could could, could look yeah. to the, I mean Zodiac the, is the same Zodiac yeah. is also another film that's hugely influenced and I think even better than all the president's men so uh, uh, it's you can do it you can you can take from uh, that's what you're supposed to do take I mean this is this is the cinema we're always calling for this is the cinema of grown-ups it's not strident it's not simplistic it's not simplified it's not patronizing there isn't anybody coming and explaining the themes to you in big loud letters it's about a bunch of adults doing complicated and interesting adult work and like i just felt intellectually treated kindly by this movie <laughs> in a way that isn't at all like insulting and it and that just feels so rare in, like in so big refreshing movies. not to be insulted well I mean. yes really yeah i mean I, I actually if you if you were to have you seen Truth yet? <laughs> truth, truth is the insulting version. Of this. <laughs> um, so, but, wait, can uh, I handle the truth? Uh, another nice parallel uh, between the two films. I had I had Spotlight in my mind when I was rewatching all the President's Men. Is is how Spotlight always? I mean, part of it's just Boston you know, the Boston geography, but there's, there's a church in so many shots and you often hear the church bells in the background and, and with Washington, you know, it, uh, all the president's many uses all the, you know, the famous buildings and monuments as, uh, are constantly in the background too. And again, it's partially because it's kind of unavoidable, but it says something about, you know, each city, I guess we're going to, maybe I'm getting ahead of us. Cause you we're, are, we're, cause we're that's going to be my topic, hey, but I want to talk about your topic. My topic. Right. Uh, let, let's, uh, what have you got? 
I was talking, I mean, uh, we're talking about how similar they are in, in their in approach and, and storytelling. I think one difference is, is the look of them. Um, I'm going to kind of talk about this in the, in the previous segment, but, but um, All Presidents Men is so dark. I mean, it's Gordon Willis cinematography. It's, it's beautifully dark, shadowy um, cinematography. Uh, Spotlight isn't. Uh, the cinematographer is uh, Masanabu Takayanagi, who is uh, also um, David Russell cinematographer, Scott Cooper cinematographer. And, and, you know, he hasn't been working that They're all Boston. And, they, yeah. He shoots in Boston. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and he's very good. Um, and but here, it's it's nothing is all that the shadows aren't really there. There's not that much darkness here, and I think it kind of speaks to the different types of stories because I think all presence men is about all the stuff that's underneath the surface and unseen that nobody knows about um, until, you know, except for the people really high up in power. And Spotlight is so much about this, this not exactly open secret, but every, you know, you get the sense in this town that everybody knows someone who knows someone this happened to, or knows somebody who knows a story or knows someone who did it. To have cast that story with shadows would kind of be a false telling of it. I think it's a really interesting stylistic choice. And for all like the way the camera movements and the rhythms and the pacing and the approach to storytelling are um, like all the presidents men, that look is quite different in an interesting way. Well, I mean, maybe it's also about transparency and shining a light. You know, just being able to see things that that were hidden or that we were in denial. Uh, I guess we were in denial about before. Um, so, in that sense, it's it's a different. It's definitely a different film texturally than than all the President's Men. It does feel like in Spotlight, we've spent a lot less time with people who do know things that they could contribute to the story that they're telling. There's a lot less door to door to door to door, like trying to get people to open up um, and a lot more like on the phone or, or leafing through books or whatever. I do seem to remember a couple of dark shots where they're literally on people's porches at mm, night, like sure. trying to make that entry. And I think going back and looking at it again, through that perspective of like when they choose darkness would be interesting because one of the things I most remember about the film is I, I can't remember now I don't think it's Slattery's character who has kids I think it's uh, Brian James Darcy's but oh, there's sure, because he, he gets he's very upset because the the home of uh, uh, they almost set up these like halfway house type yes. places for these uh, for, you know let's say pedophile priests um, you know is happens to be in his neighborhood and so that really as a and father he runs him. out to see it I'm pretty sure that that happens at night but later Later, when he doesn't want his kids like playing on on playgrounds, when he's like he's looking at a playground in front of a church, like it's broad daylight out, and that in and of itself feels symbolic. It's like here are all of these kids playing in the sun, and like right behind them is this big building that has come to represent this sense of menace. And I mean that's part of what they're exploring in the film is these institutions that have very dark secrets going on inside them, and that they they can't make they can't get past those walls. And I think. I think we talked a little bit about whether or not um, All Princess Men is sort of an you know, inherently political film or a film with a political agenda. And I think, and similarly, Spotlight is, it's not an anti-Catholic film per se. It's more like you follow these facts and you draw your conclusions about the institution that, that are kind of hard to get around because they happened. And there's, there, you know, there's no denying wh- what the facts say. And that's what journalism does. And when it comes to that, you know, not insulting you intellectually thing, I think it's very interesting that they bring out very early on that Marty Baron is a New York Jew, mm-hmm. basically. I mean, I don't think he came from, 
I don't think he was born in New York. I don't remember where he was born. He like he worked for the Miami Herald, the New York Times, like all of these other papers. But they consider him a New Yorker. That's like where he's coming from in their heads. And they do make the point that he's Jewish. Like he doesn't have the sense of guilt or the sense of loyalty, the sense of connection to the Catholic Church. He is that ultimate outsider to the city to the culture, to their subscriber base, which is 53% Catholic. And that gives him a great deal of freedom to do these things without somebody pulling his strings. But it also feels just a little bit like he, you know, he's come in as this essentially foreigner into their mix to knock over their civilization. There are certainly people that see it that way. And the film does not hit that point too hard. Like, I think you could probably visualize a much more Oscar-mongering version of this film that's a thriller that has people being chased through the streets at night by, you know, people wheeling cudgels and also have him, like, giving a big speech about being Jewish and how that affects all this. But as it is, it's a pretty subtle point. Yeah, and I, one thing I like about it is the, the, there is one big speech moment. Mark Ruffalo gets it in the film, and he's not right. I mean, he's he's <laughs> he's, he's his uh, his indignation is is certainly well placed, but his his call to action is not like this stirring thing. It's it, it is a it is a misplaced sense of urgency uh, that that you know the film doesn't have a lot of huge dramatic moments. The ones it does are are really nuanced like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's and I think if we're gonna bring all the president's men into the discussion and sort of contrast the two films in terms of this, the, the secrets. So the difference to me is that, is that with in DC, that was a genuine secret. It wasn't hidden in plain sight, like the way it is in Boston. And I think with Boston, there's something very specific about that city and specific about the character, you know, the Catholic character, uh, that where, where there's widespread awareness that this is happening. Um, but, but a deep, deep denial, or maybe even not, if not denial, then, then trying to reconcile like, well, that, that, you know, just being a, you know, a black mark on a, on an institution that does a lot of good. Um, so I, in that sense, the two things are different. And so approaching the story is not like, there's not a story there. It's like, this is the, the, the ramifications of this are, are damaging in a lot of other ways and they just don't want to get into it. So Marty Baron coming to town, I mean, that's just, you know, he comes to town and he sees it and it's like, this is ridiculous. We have to be reporting on this. How, why are we not reporting on this? People are, who, who are from, from the, the city, they have a different pr- perspective on that. And part of the way that comes out is I, the film is very careful spotlight about dealing with the victims. I mean, one one big difference, I think, between this and All the President's Men is, you know, in All the President's Men, the victims, if any, are not clear. Like, the victims are, in an abstract way, the American people who have been duped. But you don't have, like, victims to be trotted out to talk about how this has affected their lives. And Spotlight slips in several interviews with people who feel their lives have, have been ruined by what happened to them, by being molested by priests. Not just by you know, being sexually fiddled with as children, but by having somebody who was an important authority figure who literally represented God in their parish, in their community, in their world, you know, do something like this to them. And I really admire the level of restraint that the film takes, again, in in dealing with that element, because that, again, is something they could have hit much, much harder and did not. Yeah, I mean, what's got it, and it has a, it has a, a, a genuine activist streak, too, uh, that 
all the presidents spend does not. I mean, right, right, you know, it closes. I mean, it's not really a spoiler alert, but it closes with a long list of cities where this uh, these abuses are going on. And I feel like there's kind of a thing where it's, you know, the film is a call to action in a way that all the presidents meant is, and all the presidents meant maybe a call to, to conscience, make people aware of things. But this is, and I think maybe this one's too. But I feel like this it goes that one step further, um, you know, which I think is kind of the mark of its production company, actually, uh, which is called Participant Media. Uh, I, I think that uh, Spotlight should have ended about 20 minutes earlier with everybody just sitting <laughs> oh, in the newsroom is, typing. I, and then we could have cut it, to it like that where it was crawl. Supposed to. They both end where they're supposed to, Tasha. <laughs> um, you you don't have the journalistic spirit, which is to you know tear down the walls of, of what we're given and demand more. They should have just taken, a, taken the paper and just slammed it on Cardinal Law's desk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it would say, uh, you know, Nixon ordered Watergate. It'd be like, oh no, I resign. They could have wept. He could have gone off and like hung out with Nixon. And you know where they could have hung out? They could have hung out in Boston. Scott, I think you had a point to make about, I do. about the well, cities I think, as we see I think, them I think it, I'm fascinated watching, i I'm fascinated by places. And I feel like uh, one of the things I love about procedurals is that is that they lead you point by point, nugget by nugget through a case and as they're doing so, they're, 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 it's almost acting as a, a tour guide and it's showing you uh, the world of the film that way. And both in Spotlight and All the President's Men, both capture the spirit of their cities so distinctly and powerfully that I feel like we should talk about it, right? Sure. And, you know, I mean, DC, I think it's all there in the architecture. Uh, it's a very cold city. Uh, it's a very bureaucratic city. It's full of paranoia and dread. All that is sort of drawn out. The architecture of the place, it's not a very warm place. It's kind of uh, anti-San Francisco. It's a daytime city. You know, the, the vast majority of people who work there during the day uh, head out to, to the surrounding areas. And it's, uh, I don't know what the modern statistics are, but when I, when I lived in Maryland, like just across the border, when I was 16 and working at the Smithsonian, it seemed like uh, the studies at the time were like it was 90% white by day and like 85% black by night because so few people actually lived there and the people that lived there, you know, lived in kind of inner city slums. And it was just, it was a very, very different textured city by day and by night. In terms of all the presence men though, I think, I do feel like there is that evocation of architecture uh, of the of the of just the way the city kind of feels as a setting at a, as a place where people um uh you know i mean it reinforces the theme of the film i think mm-hmm. um uh, boston uh the is a tribalist city and i think you see that in this film you see it also in black mass which also which came out this year so it was very interesting for me to see them both at the same toronto film festival you see it in a film like the departed um you know it's a city where there are a lot of lines that are being drawn and, and it's a city that's suspicious of outsiders it's a city where the church wields influence over every institution including the newspaper and um you know the act of exposing something that is part of the city in that way it almost feels it, it feels like a violation and it's and it's it's a, it's a violation to expose a violation in a way i mean it's crossing borders that, that you that you do not cross in the city of boston and so i could just walk into that courthouse right now and get those documents no you cannot because the documents are not there but you just said they're public i know i did but this is boston and the church does not want them to be found so they are not there mitch are you telling me that the catholic church removed legal documents from that courthouse look i'm not crazy i'm not paranoid i'm experienced check the docket you'll see they control everything. 
Wow, that is a really interesting observation and, and definitely something that I didn't notice. But I like I have an immediate response to that of, well, that explains so much. That explains why we spend so much time looking at the city from above in All the President's Men, whereas we spend so much time with the people and the people representing those institutions in Boston because it's much more about the, the way it connects. And it's and Marty Barrett's not the only outsider. Um, Stanley Tucci plays lawyer Mitchell Garbedian, who is, is um, Ar- Armenian. And, and there's a, he gets a, a scene with Mark Ruffalo where he kind of talks about what it is to be an Armenian in, in Boston, like just briefly, but it's sort of a sense like, yeah, I'm, I've never fit in here. And because I, my family wasn't born, you know, de- here decades ago, you know, centuries ago, you know, it, it is these deeply ingrained institutions as, as, as you say. Yeah. I mean, and, and in that film, like, you know, the film black mass, um, you know, the, the, one of the reasons that Whitey Bulger in the, in the reality of Whitey Bulger too, the, the, one of the reasons why he was able to operate is that, is that, you know, the, the FBI agent that was, who was working with him as a you know, quote unquote informant, he was a South, you know, there was, you know, he's a Southie and they're part of the same neighborhood and they, you know, and there's certain, there's a code there that's, that's, that, that would be broken, I suppose, if by, by pursuing the case in a, you know, in a proper, more aggressive way. You know, one of my favorite shots, one of my favorite sequences, I guess, in All the President's Men, which, again, speaks to what you're saying about the the city as architecture, is there's a point when Woodstein is looking over the the creep lists and just sort of reciting these names um, of this extensive list of people that they're like one by one trying to track down. And the camera just pulls out and does this like slow pan over the city. And you get a feeling of its scope in that moment. And I don't remember anything like that in Spotlight. I don't remember any like larger shots of Boston where you get a sense of the size of the city. But Pecula basically is saying in that shot, they're looking for needles in a haystack. Like, look at the size of this place. Like, first by day and then by night as it becomes like just this glittering like sheet of points of light. They're looking for all of these individual people in that like vast glittering carpet and like none of those people are going to help them and but it's just it really becomes intimidating at the same time though there's also a sense that it's a company town and everyone kind of knows somebody uh or has you know they get to people because someone has dated somebody or used to date somebody and wants to reconnect with them there's like i don't know person a but i know person c knows person d who can get me to person a you know there is there is sometimes it's less of a needle in a haystack than kind of a, a maze i have to navigate you know the the thinking of Boston as a, like a network of of people and institutions. The equivalent of that that I found fascinating in Spotlight was in the newsroom. It seems like their primary asset is not these you know gigantic books of records that they can f- flip through every single page of looking for like rhymes between various assignments for priests. It's the institutional memory of the people in the newsroom, mm-hmm. and that was I mean that also goes back to mm. the, to the journalism yeah. topic. So many times during that film, somebody will say, oh, well, what about this character? And whereas in All the President's Men, what about this character means, I don't know, send somebody down to the morgue. Maybe we can find a picture of him. In this case, somebody always says, oh, we did a story back on him 15 years ago. Oh, didn't didn't she come up in connection with this other thing? And they just they have these archival memories of stuff that they've worked on. And it sort of gets to that same feeling of everybody knows somebody. But in this case, the institution knows everybody. The That's institution has connections to everybody. It's, I think it's really a especially good point to me for all the president's been in terms of what everyone's roles are because Woodward and Bernstein are, I mean, they really emphasize their experience level 
and and uh, you know, I mean, Bernstein's been around a little while. Uh, Woodward is pretty new. The idea with the with the two of them is that they're hungry. If there is information that they they need to fill out the story, that they have have that as a as a um, source, their own publication. But you're right. I, I do love that. You know. Oh wait, didn't she used to date a guy who mm-hmm. and just. Both of these films are are very white men focused, and you see that in particular, like just all of the the Congress scenes, the the old footage where it's just it's a giant room full of white dudes, and then you go into the newsrooms and it's a giant room full of white dudes. There are uh, a couple of black reporters in All the President's Men, and there's Rachel McAdams in Spotlight, but over and over they go to the women to make the connections that they need. They, mm. <laughs> at least in All the President's Men, there's a lot of if I can get through the secretary, if I can get information through the girl that dated the guy who. Don't you go with a guy that works for the committee to reelect? Not anymore. You did go with him, though. I think you were engaged to him, weren't you? Yeah. You got out of it? So? You're looking better. So. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we need a list of the people that work there. Do you think that. I can't do that. Why not? It's personal. What do you mean? You said it was over. And then in Spotlight, uh, it feels like women are more often standing in the way. There's like all of the victims that they talk to are men because so many of the victims were boys. But there's that moment where they talk to the priest who's just like, well, of course I had sex with young boys. It was a sacrament. And the woman appears and just sucks him back into the house. Mm -hmm. There's a sense that that's maybe his sister. It is his sister. Yeah. Yeah. It's explicit. Yeah. So uh, Tasha, Keith, anything else uh, we want to add? I think we're, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least acknowledge the superb acting that goes in uh, into each of these films. It, it is a top to bottom wonderful cast of of the of, uh, of terrific uh, actors from each era. Um, you know, and and uh, that certainly plays a large role in why both films are so good. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the amazingness of Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford's hair, which just plays such a, a crucial role in this film. Although I, I just I want to give a shout out to the moment. I, I would like to dig into this and find out whether it was improv. But for me, the whole movie comes down to the moment where they're, I think, maybe in Robard's office. They're in one of their higher ups office. And uh, Dustin Hoffman is smoking as he is throughout this film. And he drops ash on the couch and <laughs> Redford starts punctiliously like wiping it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so much great uh, acting in this film, but there's in both of these films, but there's also just so much great partnership. On the spotlight tip, I, I also would say that that if uh, you weren't the biggest fan of Birdman and and uh, Scott, I forget now where'd you stand on Birdman? I thought he was like a, a, solid, <laughs> a solid B plus on that one. But Michael Keaton is it's uh, you know the comeback kind of continues with this one. Uh, it's I mean, definitely continues with this one. I think he's well, this very, is very movie, right? Very, oh, it Rufo, oh, Rufo is really is. outstanding. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just just uh, everyone is though. Well, uh, Spotlight is in limited release now, but uh, I think it's going to hang around for a while. It's definitely going to be a Best Picture nominee, so you'll, yeah, it's, you'll it's be able to see serious it. serious buzz. You'll be able to see it in theaters. And if you haven't seen All the President's Men, rectify that immediately. It's available pretty much in every streaming format, though not, not for free. I saw it on Google Play, I say, with contempt. <laughs> I, uh, I bought a delightful Blu-ray that has extra stuff on it. Oh my gosh, it, see, so. that's the way to see it. Yeah. I saw it on Amazon, I say, with humble pride. Wow, and you were able to see that sign, that the sign about <laughs> about ambiguity. Well, we bought it in HD. Wow, pretty good. And finally, we're only meeting to record this podcast every couple of weeks, so we wanted to use our last segment to catch up on the films and film-related items we've experienced in the interim. We're calling it your next picture show. 
in hopes that it will put some interesting new films on your radar. Tasha, let's begin with you. Oh my God, I've had so many uh, good film experiences lately that I can't pass on to other people because they involve stuff that's that I saw at a film festival or Fancy. in limited release. Um, I got to see Charlie Kaufman's Anomalisa, mm. which I was so excited about seeing. And that is a trippy film with some pretty significant flaws, but the filmmaking is so interesting because it's, uh, it's stop motion and it's almost photorealistic in some of the faces and very stylized in a lot of other ways. Have either of you guys had the I'm opportunity? Dis- I'm dispute you on the flaws. <laughs> oh, you think a, it's a flawless fan- film? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think we'll have time to talk about that. Yeah, that's. Road, I mean, that's but... going to be a, a whole big separate conversation oh, that I think sure. is, is outside the, the bulk of this. Yeah, that's a film that I cannot wait to write about because I feel like there's just there's so much to say. Mm-hmm. I saw this amazing, I, I believe, Swedish film uh, called Girls Lost out of the Chicago International Film Festival that's about a bunch of bullied 14-year-old girls um, that through the magical realism uh, convenience of a magical flower uh, change into boys. And it's a film about transsexuality. It's a film about bodies. It's a film about social constructs. It's a film about like the freedom to redefine who you are and where it takes different people and how it hits them in different ways. It's such a fascinating movie, and I don't see any sign that it's getting uh, American distribution. And I saw a film called uh, Victoria, uh, directed by Sebastian Schipper, oh, right. I believe his name is. How many takes in that film, Tasha? It is 138 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It is a single take yeah and i like a lot of reviews are are mixed on it i find it magnificent it's one of my favorite films this year this movie is it opened uh like it played some festivals um it won the silver bear in berlin and it's like slowly trickling out to u.s theaters so the best way to find out if there's any way you can see it it opens in chicago at the music box theater on november 6th i believe and i know it opens in a couple of new york cities then and in dc on november 13th it's just doing this like slow limited release rollout if you can see it in the theater go see in the theater it's amazing now that's three things that That most people can't see but I'm going to throw one on that okay. anybody can see, which is uh, if you like this whole discussion about Spotlight, there's a really fun article at the Boston Globe where they they took three of the people who are portrayed in the film and had them talk about what the experience was like of working with their actors. And those are there's some very, very funny reporting in there. They have a they take the whole process with a big grain of salt. But they talk about how detail oriented uh, Ruffalo and McAdams and Keaton were in getting every last nuance of like how they talked, what they dressed where things were placed on their desks like what 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 size literally rachel mcadams asked uh the woman she's portraying what size post-it did you favor back then oh my god there's some great and there's uh, some great detail about uh mcadams filming and i believe the british press like getting uh, getting a look at her and talking about how dowdy her hair was and how <laughs> dressed down and grotesque she was and the woman the woman that she's playing is like welcome to hollywood <laughs> so those are all of the things I haven't enjoyed recently. That is, that is, that's a formidable list. Keith, what, do you, what have you got? Uh, I'll briefly talk about a film that people can't see yet, but we'll be able to see soon, and that's Carol, which I hope we would talk about on this podcast in some form because it is amazing, and I don't want to oversell it. 
um, because, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's always dangerous to say this is the best thing ever, but it's really, really good. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for you guys to see it. Um, so I guess other than that, I've seen some other good stuff, but I, I maybe the single best viewing experience I had recently was rewatching Mulholland Drive on Blu-ray, which is out by Criterion now. And it is, uh, uh, a film that, uh, holds up remarkably well, uh, just, uh, in, in, uh, an extraordinary piece of filmmaking that, that, uh, yields thing new to me every time. And, 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 uh, I find that more moving over the years too. It's, 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 a uh, it's a really affecting film emotionally and, and, uh, um, I like it. It's terrifying too. It's got a it one is, really terror that one scene at the at the restaurant. It's got more than one scene that's really scary though. Yeah. The, the the ending is 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 really scary and and, and it's uh uh you know if you can't see David Lynch in a uh, um in a theater see something like this uh, with a good surround sound system because oh. it will uh uh it will spook you out. <laughs> Some of that movie really does like get back to like eraser head levels of feeling like you're in a nightmare. But I've only seen it the once when it came out. Rewind watching it uh, over and over the years, does it make more narrative sense to you? You know, I, I, part of my take on that film is that I think it probably, you know, you could sit down and puzzle it out and, and, and connect all the clues and figure out what the blue key means in various different scenes. But I think it's almost more like, you, I don't think you're really supposed to. I mean, I think the key scene to, that, to me in that movie is, is the Club Silencio scene where, where you're shown that everything you're about to see is fake. And then you have this incredibly moving scene of a woman singing a Spanish language version of, of Roy Orbison's crying that then is revealed as also fake. So, you know, does it matter? I mean, the emotions you're feeling are real. Uh, it doesn't matter that, that all the points don't necessarily connect, which maybe they do. I don't know. But I mean, to me, I, I think um, the film isn't necessarily about solving all the mysteries. In fact, you're better off not trying to solve all the mysteries of it. Neat. What about you, Scott? Um, well, I want to talk about Our Brandis Crisis. Not the new film starring Sandra Bullock, but the documentary of the same title on which it's based from 2005 by a director named Rachel Boynton. And um, you all remember the film The War Room, mm-hmm. don't you? Uh, the, the great D.A. Pennebaker, Chris Hedges documentary. Um, you know, that film made a celebrity out of, of James Carville, among other people. And James Carville is a prof- political professional who went on to uh, f- you know, be part of this consultancy firm. Uh, and this consultancy firm offered its services, you know, polling services, you know, st- you know uh, shooting commercials, strategizing to uh, candidates around the globe. That was their business. And our brand is crisis is about this election in Bolivia in which they are, they are given money. They, they offer their premium services to this uh, man just n- known as Goni. Uh, popularly, he was a former president, very unpopular. Uh, but you know the uh, the country is in some trouble, and it's a very tumultuous election. He's down by like twenty points, and and so they come in and they come up, come in with a strategy for uh, eking out a victory against against a populist candidate. Among a, there are like three candidates. There's a lot of votes splitting here, and they're in their and their candidacy is based on there in the title. Our brand is crisis. It's about where he's hitting hard the fact that the country is in in trouble, and he has the experience and has been in office for a while and can kind of lead it out of trouble. That is that is the message that he's trying to send, uh, and and so it's about kind of taking this candidate who who really who's very arrogant and stiff and unpopular and making him a winner. I think it's a fascinating movie, um, and in and it very subtly casts you know sort of Clintonian notions of progressivism, sort of a market friendly progressivism in a very 
unflattering light, you know, because I think because, you know, they, they come down and, you know, and spoiler alert, you know, they, they, they succeed. <laughs> they succeed in getting him elected. But the consequences of his election are devastating to the country. <laughs> he, he should not be president of that country. Uh, and uh, and there's a there's a there's an arrogance and a lack of awareness on the part of, you know, Carville's team. Um, you know, a narrowness about let's get this guy elected. This guy represents our values and just not doesn't really understand they without really an understanding of how Bolivia itself works and, and what what kind of effect uh, the, this this uh, guy is going to have on the country. So that's that's the film. That's the documentary. Our brain is crazy. It's the film uh, version that is out uh, now with uh, Sandra Bullock is a complete. Uh, I, it's it's shocking to me uh, how far it departs. I mean, for one, there's no Sandra Bullock character in the documentary. It is, it, it's not even a composite. It's a completely new character. Uh, and in the in the Carville character is exists in the new film, but he's played by Billy Bob Thornton, who who played a Carville type in Primary Colors. But he's representing the um, the other candidate. They're like political rivals. So you really get a sense. Not only should you seek out our brand as crisis, just because I think it's a really good movie, but uh, it's a really sharp contrast with uh, the new film and kind of an interesting lesson in how uh, and how you know the truth can be kind of manipulated or, or you know you can take this sort of very basic premise and, and make something completely new and not really reality based out of it. Our brand is crisis. If you can find it, uh, I would recommend it. That's it for this week's edition of The Next Picture Show. We'd love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion on All the President's Men, Spotlight, or both, and what you'd like to see from this podcast going forward. We want to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show. You can leave a voicemail at 773-234-9730. Our next episode will center on the release of The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2, and delve into another tale of young people at war, Battle Royale. Please join us then. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at, at Scott Tobias, and you can find Genevieve at, at Genevieve Kosky. Uh, Tasha, where can they find you? At Tasha Robinson. And Keith? At KFIP3000. That's 3000. Okay. Thanks, guys. See you next time. See you next time.